Hi, Peter. Hey, Liz. Good to see you. Good to see you too. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing Good. well. Good. I'm happy to hear that. And I'm super excited about this first podcast that you and I are co-hosting together, just the two of us. Yes, me too. And for the opportunity that we have to talk about the things that we're reading and watching this month with the rest of the community, um, how we're reacting and responding to it, and also how some of these things are maybe engaging with each other. Um, we also have a question from the community, which is really mm -hmm. exciting that I'm excited. Uh, it's a great question. I'm excited to dig in with you. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about this with you today. Yeah, me too. You know, um, I was thinking, reflecting on our last, um, session with, um, with Danielle and I love that, you know, we'd been going for about a year or so and we're just fine. And then, uh, you joined the conversation and, and then, Right off the bat, we had to put the explicit warning on the uh, oh. on the on the podcast, which I yes. loved. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a slight change in tone, which is completely fine. Um, but I, yeah, I'm really glad that we're doing this together. You've been with the community for a while now, so I, I just feel like we're going to be able to dig in deep and um, hit the ground running. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, sidebar, if you would mm -hmm. like me to not swear, I can, I'm happy to. Oh, no, not I at all. That, that was meant okay. to be a word of affirmation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. okay. Well, thank you for inviting my entire, my entire self, my mm -hmm. true self into this space. Of course, absolutely. Let's start with the Kirsten Powers book, since that's been like, it seems like the primary book for the month. I really appreciated the question that came up in the webinar um, which you also highlighted in the conversations on the Faith and Justice online platform um, about boundaries and what it looks like um, in different cultures to set boundaries. And you, you kind of telescoped it out to this broader question about how social location impacts our reading and our experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just, I just appreciated I really appreciated the question because I did get the sense when I was reading that um, this was maybe something that Powers hadn't really thought about before. And I think we heard a little bit of that in her answer. And so I guess I was just curious to hear, um, I don't know, like your thoughts on the topic, like how does your social location impact your reading, like specifically thinking about boundaries, like what does it look like for you as somebody who comes from like a collectivist context to think about boundaries with your family or otherwise? Like, I would just love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, I really appreciated the question when it came up. And then I, I uh, also am really struck by the ways that you're uh, phrasing and highlighting different aspects of the question, because I think it's also um, revealing uh, a part, an aspect of our community where we're trying to do this work together but we're coming from such different backgrounds. And so yeah. it's going to land in different ways for different people. And so maybe you sort of one out, zoom out a little bit and, and say, I was really excited about the Kirsten Powers book. I, I felt like to me personally, it was sort of a, a reminder that being gracious is actually a really important and healthy um, Christian value and something that I should strive for in the midst of uh, a time when I was uh, feeling pretty pretty down or pretty angry. And so um, I was excited about the book, but I also knew that it was going to land in different ways for different people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really, but so I knew that kind of theoretically, and it's been interesting to move through that and actually hear the voices and the very concrete uh, responses, reactions. So the question was, you know, like, I think the chapter is entitled Just Say No, and mm-hmm. it's about the importance of drawing boundaries. And, um, and when the question was asked, I think Kirsten really helpfully moved to reflecting on it's important for everyone to prioritize their safety, but it's not the only value, right? Like, and there's, mm-hmm. there's a danger of being dualistic, which Kirsten at the very beginning of the book is really um, diligent about setting out why dualistic thinking is unhelpful. If we had more time, I think we would have dug in that way. How can we not be dualistic about this? Like, it's the only value here safety versus danger Hmm. or are there other kinds of values at play and just Mm -hmm. you know really specifically for me there are things that i think some people would say this is what i need to do and say to draw boundaries that i could never imagine myself doing with the people in my life yeah right so yeah the kinds of things that someone like kirsten might feel very comfortable saying to a family member i couldn't say that to my dad Mm -hmm. and maybe there's something that i need to interrogate about my own participation in the dysfunctions of my own culture and my own family. So I would acknowledge that. And also, it's not something that I can do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so weighing the tension there, I think, is um, challenging. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, too, though. Oh, I have so many thoughts about this. So uh, in my previous life, as you know, Peter, I was a psychologist. And these kinds of questions came up constantly amongst the people of color that I was in school with, like all of the models that we were learning about health and wellness and what it looks like to be healthy and what it looks like to be unhealthy have pretty much universally been um, established around like white Western people and families and contexts. And so, you know, for example, I'm Asian American and you know, what boundaries look like in my family, I think are very different than the example of healthy boundaries that I was given in my family systems class, right? I think that a white practitioner looking at my family of origin might might categorize us as enmeshed, which is unhealthy in, you know, this particular framework, right? But um, for an Asian family... Uh, I think that our level of connectedness is fairly normal. And so how do we make sense of that? Um, And, you know, what does it look like? What does health look like in this particular context Um, is a question that we ask constantly. And I think the field has not asked enough and has often pathologized people and families that don't fit the white Western norms that these, you know, theories and uh, interventions were based on. So, um, I resonated a lot with the question that you asked her at the webinar. And I also like the inability, the lack of like, a the uncertainty about how to respond also felt familiar to me because that's usually how my professors responded as well. And so, you know, there isn't a lot of specific work yet on, you know, what do healthy boundaries look like, you know, in a say like Bowenian therapy for uh, an Asian family or a black family or a Latinx family, et cetera. So um, it, it largely then becomes up to the practitioner 
um, to make sense of that, sometimes with their clients, sometimes not. And that's tough because there's just not a lot of research out there um, in our specific contexts. But, you know, I think about this a lot in my own life, too, because, like, I've had to draw boundaries with my family. And, you know, it, as you said, it doesn't always look like the things that Powers lays out in her book. Sometimes it does, to be frank. Like sometimes because, you know, I come from an Asian family, but my parents have also been in the States for like, you know, almost 50 years. So there are some things that they can hear from me. Um, but there are some things that I absolutely could not say to them. And so um, for me, setting boundaries has looked very different than maybe saying no in the way that uh, powers, uh, yeah, in the way that powers describes it. Um, I would be curious if you're comfortable sharing, like, you know, what does setting boundaries look like for you? Like, how have you made those decisions? If you're not comfortable, that's totally fine. I'm also happy to talk to, but if you have like specific examples of like, even just like how you've, how you, the process of like making these decisions, mm -hmm. like what does that yeah. look like for you? Yeah, I'm happy to, I'm happy to reflect on that out loud. Um, I, I, I'll just say at the outset, they're probably not the healthiest or, you know, they're not the <laughs> kinds of ways of drawing boundaries I would commend to others, right? Because I sure. think there's work that I'm in, in the midst of doing. Um, but, you know, I think what you said about pathologizing, I kind of experienced the tendency to be critical because it's so outside the bounds of normativity, hmm. of kind of white normative responses. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I think my, my knee-jerk reaction is to say there's something wrong, like it's avoidant or it's, uh, mm. it's passive-aggressive. So what I do is um, like there are certain topics that I, I won't even address or don't feel like it's something that I need to talk about with, I'll say specifically my dad. My dad is a, mm. um, a pastor, so a Korean pastor. Mm. And we have profound theological differences. Hmm. And there have been times in my life where we have talked, we've talked shop and it's been life-giving and, and really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I've seen him as a wise mentor. And then there are other areas of theology, I think more recently in my life where, where I've wrestled with this, like, do I want to talk about this with my dad? Mm -hmm. And I just given my giving myself permission to not even go there yeah. um, has been really helpful and yes. uh, and not to um, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that just says we've lived in such different worlds that we're not mm -hmm. going to have we're not going to be able to achieve uh, shared understanding. We don't even have a shared vocabulary for talking mm -hmm. about this literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so. Um, and that can come across as, you know, just avoiding. But yeah, that's one example that comes to mind. And I've, there have been times where I've said, is this something that I need to be more honest and transparent about? Mm. And for now, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that, Peter. Um, and I, I resonate so much with it too. Like for me, you know, I'm also from an Asian family. We're from different ethnic groups. Um, but for me, a lot of boundary setting with my family has been less verbal, but more like prevention. And I hear that kind of in what you're saying about like the topics we're not going to talk about. Um, and uh, I, I feel that too. I like I think about, you know, I, I now live in Michigan. I used to live in California. I now live in Michigan where I grew up. So I live much closer to my family than I did before. But um, I cannot live within an hour of my family. 
And I love them very deeply. And I moved here specifically so that we could be, you know, me and my new family could be like uh, close to them and my children can know my parents, but I cannot live closer than an hour. And so um, for me in this context, like setting boundaries meant like instituting some physical boundaries to prevent the kind of conflict that I know happens with us when we are physically closer to each other. So um, all that to say that like I I appreciate um, your example because I relate very much to like, you know, sometimes boundaries isn't isn't just shutting down a conversation. It's like preventing mm-hmm. that conversation from happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, that yeah. really, you know, in, a, in, a, in cultures where respecting your elders is so paramount and how you talk to your elders is so paramount like this for me is like a very effective way of setting boundaries Mm, you know yeah and to say in the midst of that it's not a diminishment of the relationship like it's Mm. not somehow that we have a lesser relationship because we're not connecting all these different levels Mm -hmm. Um, because if you really think about it yeah like there are people in our lives where we would want to share of ourselves more fully and um and without restraint but do we really like is there anyone in our lives that we are fully connected with and in in agreement with not i don't Mm -hmm. think so yeah and so to realize that there are relationships where we don't even it doesn't even have to be a point of contention it can just be something that is um not on the table yeah. Um, I, I want to think of a little bit more about this because as I, as I hear the words coming out of my mouth, there's all kinds of questions that are arising. But just um, just not trying to strive towards a sign of health that is artificial or that is not really authentic to who I am and who my family is. You know, one example that comes to mind, I think it was a year after college, living with um, a roommate, he would have these amazing conversations with his dad. He'd Mm -hmm. be on the phone for like two hours Mm -hmm. talking with his dad. Mm -hmm. And I remember overhearing that conversation. Um, I wasn't eavesdropping. I was in the same room with him already. He was talking to his dad and -hmm. thinking, I could never imagine having a conversation like that with my dad. Yeah. And I kind of got down on myself and kind of got down on my dad. And at some point, I just had to realize, hey, like my relationship with my dad is fine. It's beautiful. It's just as loving as that relationship. And it just looks different. And giving yeah. myself permission to, to, to put them in different categories was a, um, a helpful or necessary step. Yeah. God, I relate so hard to that. Like, you know, the like Gilmore Girls example that I saw in my teenage years is just not how I'm ever going to relate to either of my parents. And that's okay. And it's appropriate to have feelings about it. It's appropriate to grieve it. But what's most helpful is to like free myself and my parents from the expectation that we will ever relate that way when that is just not how it's going to be. Um, so what I, what I really appreciate and, you know, I, what you're like kind of processing out loud here is just like even the, um, revising our expectations for our parents or our relationships, having realistic expectations for our relationships is another way that we can set boundaries. Um, you know, like not, expecting that we are going to be able to have completely open conversations with every single person in our life, even if we would like to, but just not 
not not imposing those um, the expectation of those conversations when we know it's not realistic or healthy for us. Mm-hmm. I like that revising our expectations, and it doesn't have to be something that we do. Uh, based on our comfort or what feels like the most um, immediately helpful thing, right? I, it might take hard, hard work and reflection, deep mm-hmm. reflection. Yeah, that that sounds like really important work. Yeah, yeah, mm. and then like grieving the loss mm. of the ideal relationship that we thought we might have. Yeah, and then you know, building a sense of like what is a realistic goal for us what does that look Mm. like and maybe sometimes not even grieving right because it it was such an artificial thing that it wasn't worth Mm. grieving and then there's probably gonna be other times where yes you you ought to it would be important to grieve but again trying to figure discern what is right and proper uh, in that moment and in that context yeah it's hard work it is hard work and it's ever evolving, right? Because like as we grow and ch- our relationships aren't static in the same way that we are not static and the people with whom we have relationships are not static, right? So like at various points in our life, we are going to need to revisit probably and revise. And, you know, I think about my own relationship with my parents and how like having a kid myself like completely changed my relationship with my parents in a way that I did not expect. And just realizing that like... um you know, just that I had to kind of like renegotiate in for better and for worse, like the the expectations that I had before, you know, and um, it's an ongoing process and it's never going to be like settled probably. And that I think is also challenging because I think so much of us would like to just be able to settle these things and not have the just just close the close the loop, so to speak. But that loop is never closed. Yeah. Yeah. And is it okay to name that it's hard work that some people don't have to do because they're in the dominant cultural position? Mm, and so yeah. a lot of the expectations that they have are right, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it makes sense for them because it was crafted to fit their life situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's layers here uh, that make it uh, really important for people to re- reflect on their own their own journey and who they are and where they find themselves. Yeah. You know, another thing that sort of another point of contention um, that comes to mind is, um, you know, one of the things that Power says in the book is everyone's trying their best. And so the reason we, why we ought to show grace is because when we recognize that everyone is trying their best, um, it ought to deepen a sense of empathy. Hmm. And I think this has been a really interesting, uh, challenging thing to think about because for lots of people, um, it didn't resonate. It mm. didn't ring true. Mm. And, um, and I think about sort of my own experience. Like for most of my adult life, I've worked in predominantly white institutions, contexts. And I know that there are people who are not trying their best. I feel, mm. I feel like a curmudgeon saying this, mm-hmm. but because of their entitlement, because of their privilege, um, they can get away for days, weeks, months without doing any substantive work. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, there's been, I think there are layers here and we have to uh, be discerning in how we hear these things, how we process these things, and even how we talk about them, I think. Yeah. That's super interesting. 
That was also a line that I heard in graduate school from a very kind and impactful professor who was like, everyone is doing the best they can with what they have. And I think though with what they have might be the difference for me between those two statements because um, I agree with you that not everybody's trying their best all the time. That again, might also be my own cantankerousness talking, but I do think that like given, you know, the financial or emotional resources that most people have available to them, or just like the understanding that they have of privilege and power and systems, I do think that like most people are trying their best. But then the issue that, the very important issue that I think you bring up there is that some people just have no idea (laughs) what they don't know and um, of their own privilege and like what they're allowed to get away with because yeah, like they live in a state of blissful ignorance that a lot of us don't get to. Um, Right. And they coast like most days they wake up and again, I, I feel so judgmental, but, and this is not everybody. This is not even the majority of people, mm-hmm. but there are, we all know people who, yeah. um, who don't do their part. And it's really hard, I think, to say of, um, just as a general rule that everyone is doing their best when part of the reason why the world is in the shape that it is is because people have accumulated privilege and wealth and mm-hmm. uh, and status that yeah. gives them space and margin to live in a way where it's just you know it's like 50% like but they can do they can be fine yeah. for an extended period of time there's a yeah. there's a built-in luxury there sure and i think it's just i think that's important to name as we think about um, the work of justice and and what it means to be people of faith who are calling ourselves to um, to to a, a more equitable society is yeah. to recognize that uh, statements like that uh, reveal or gloss over uh, deeper complexities yeah. that need addressing. Does that make sense? It does or, make sense. Or am I am I being cantankerous here? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you fleshing this out because I feel like, you know, thinking back to my graduate school professor saying this, like everyone is doing the best they, they can with what they have is like when you are sitting as a therapist across from a client who has come to you in distress and has put themselves in the position of recognizing that they need help everybody's doing the best they can with what they have is like, I think a beautiful place to start, right? But then if you're dealing with somebody in a position of privilege and power who is like not, a, <laughs> it's when you're, you know, I don't, I want, I want to be careful how I say this, but if you're looking up at somebody versus looking down at somebody who is coming to you for help, like it, um, the, the, the stance or the posture, the relationship that you have with the other person or their own position of power, shall I say, like um, it changes because mm-hmm. you're right. I would totally agree with you that there are many people in positions of privilege who are not doing their best and yeah. are given the freedom to do that. Yeah. Um, to whom I would maybe not say that they're doing the best they can yeah. with what they have. So. Yeah. Some people have yeah. so much that they can afford to do very little. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and that's a hard thing to say, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think of like, how do you say that to a person that you love 
who is your friend, and maybe you even respect them to some、mm-hmm. degree.、Mm-hmm. Um, and also, to what extent do I need to be introspective about this for myself? And so、mm-hmm. there's a so the thing that I love about the kinds of conversations that are already surfacing is these t- kinds of things would sur- would come up、uh, oftentimes later in the year because we're kind of moving through. Um, a, a set of topics, and、um, it's oftentimes in the unit on race, which you often、mm-hmm. led,、mm-hmm. or the unit on、um, gender and sexuality, which is in the spring months. That these kinds of、um, contentious topics would come up, questions would come up, and then we didn't really have time to really work through them. And it's kind of amazing to me that here we are in September, and so many of these kinds of questions are already beginning to.、Um, Surface. Yeah, yeah, and I really love that. Like already, people are coming to these readings with like a critical, thoughtful eye. You know that like social location is really important, and it's really. I mean, it's important to think about in our reading, but it's also important to think about when you're writing that you know your perspective is not objective or the norm, and. That's something that you know when we write and when we communicate, like we should be, be sure to acknowledge that our experience is not universal and like may not apply to everybody in the same way、yes. that it does to us. Yes, that's so good and important, and it applies to like the words that I'm speaking right now. Sure. And so、yes. what I'm saying is true for me、uh, from where I sit, and I need to be open. I want to be open. To different perspectives, and so if people want to push back on this, by all means, and I hope that I can be、um, present enough to be able to really listen and take things to heart. Yeah,、well. yeah, and I and I also want to acknowledge too that for some people, this is going to be much harder to adopt than others, right? Like you know, for me as like an Asian American woman, as an Asian American and a woman, like. I have lived my whole life switching between, like you know, the way that I do things and like what the norm is, and like always very cognizant that there were different experiences.、Um, but I, you know, I imagine that for some people in our community, like the idea that my own experience is not universal and that I'm, you know, things might be valid that are outside my experience, and like, you know, that that that's going to be harder and it's going to take more time and work. Um. Yeah, I just affirm that I imagine. I mean, I don't know, but I imagine that it's hard to do, and it's hard to realize an adult as an adult that like, um, your perspective is maybe not the normative perspective, and like it takes practice. It really does take practice to like empathize and to validate people's experiences that are not、yeah. part of your own. That's why it's such a beautiful thing to be doing this work in community, because、mm-hmm. a community that is not an echo chamber, where ev- where everything people say and everything that you read and everything the speaker says are things that you want to write down and be and make you know life verses for yourself, right?、Mm-hmm. But you're actually hearing things that you recoil that make you、um, stop and think,、mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully that work continues and hopefully the conversation deepens and sometimes there's going to be、uh, moments where you need to take a step back for the sake of your own well-being、um, yeah. but I think doing this work in community means that there's a greater chance of making progress yeah and we also affirm that it can be also messy to do this in community 
and that like we are probably going to make mistakes as we do it and like what does it look like to be like gracious to each other um while also you know being accountable to each other and taking responsibility for our mistakes like what does it look like to do all this together um i have loved this part of the conversation and i imagine that we could keep talking about it for a long time um, but i also want to make sure that we give adequate space for this question that we got from the community which we were really excited to get both because we love when people engage with us but also because i thought this question was so thoughtful and good so i'm going to read it for us hello one topic i've been wrestling with how to balance righteous anger that is a catalyst for positive work in the world against rage that can destabilize relationship and community. Where is the line? How do we transmute our anger into bridge building energy? What do you think, Peter? My goodness. I, I just feel like I'm, I'm kind of in a rut or um, in a pit of um, cantankerousness, perhaps. But <laughs> I feel like so I love the question and I want to interrogate the question a little bit. Sure. So yes, I do want to I, I want us to ju do justice to it because I think it's an important question. Um, and you've already touched on this a little bit. The work is messy and um, destabilizing relationships is sometimes unavoidable. Hmm. It's it's not just necessary work. It's also um, the path to health and into flourishing on the other side. And so mm -hmm. that's, and, and maybe, am I just saying this because I want to create, carve out space and make it okay for me to be angry in ways that are not righteous? I don't know, maybe, I think that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's in the back of my mind, but I do want to say, like, I love this question because it, it highlights the importance of doing the work of deconstruction in a way that's going to be able to lead to reconstruction. Mm -hmm. um, because we can't live lives always tearing things down. We can't live lives always being critical. We need to be creative and we need to mm -hmm. uh, build things and make things. And, and so I love that, that this question has that in view. The best answer for me is doing this work in community where I get to process and I get to uh, work out what, um, what the bounds of my anger ought to be uh, in a particular case or in a situation. Um, so that's what I've got. What do you think, Liz? Um, I really appreciate what you just said um, because I had not caught that um, first read that like destabilizing relationship is not necessarily a bad thing. That relationship, like challenges to relationships are not necessarily bad and so um, I, I really appreciate you naming that. Um, I really like this question because I am no stranger to anger, righteous or otherwise. And I've always struggled with, you know, the evangelical context of my past that always told me that anger was bad because one, I was, you know, I had a good amount of it, but also because I did not experience it as bad all the time that I actually find an anger to be energizing and fuel for the work ahead, which requires a lot of time and labor and energy. So for me, it is much more helpful in terms of action to be angry than sad, even though I acknowledge that anger is a secondary emotion that usually Usually there's something underneath it and usually that thing is sadness. So 
Um, so for me, like, I don't see, you know, righteous anger uh, that catalyzes positive work versus like rage, uh, you know, that destabilizes relationship and community. I don't see these as different things. These are all the same thing for me. But for me, it's a matter of like where we direct that, right? So I find that when I direct this anger towards meaningful action, it does not just come out as rage. Um, so, you know, I have this anger and I can either do something productive with it or I can let it fester and like passive aggressively explode, right? So I have, I have a choice about what I do with this feeling. I can take it and hold it and be intentional with it instead of just letting it like explode on social media or a relative I don't agree with or whatever. So all this to say that like, you know, there are still plenty of times when I'm angry and I need to name it and I need to process it. And I think it is good and important to have safe, like-minded, empathetic people to process with, whether that's friends, whether that's therapists, whatever. Um, and I, you know, and I also think it's important to have, to, to find ways to direct that towards um, meaningful action uh, or else it will just, if it's left unprocessed and unnamed and undirected and unaddressed, that's when it becomes rage that is like uh, counterproductive uh, or yeah. harmful even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As I'm listening to you, it occurs to me that anger teaches us what it is that we need to pay attention to. Yes. And I experience this when I find myself, uh, when I uh, when I tell myself I, I'm not going to get angry about this and I just mm. want to sort of brush by. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that might be the appropriate response. But a lot of times when I, when I respond in that way, it's because I don't want to dig underneath the surface of mm. the thing that I'm angry about. Yeah. Um, because it would entail hard work. It might yeah. uh, mean difficult conversations. It might mean probing my own heart in ways that I don't want to. And so just choosing not to be angry is um, is the easier path. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, if I, so maybe one way of answering this question is, um, it's a uh, it's an opportunity to pay attention and it's an yeah. opportunity to dig deeper and not leave things unprocessed as you said yes um, yeah that's not gonna feel like a, it doesn't sound like a satisfactory answer to me but i think that's a starting point yeah i totally i relate i agree with that 100 percent. and i just i think that what you just said is true of anger i think it's also just true of discomfort like sometimes questions will make us very uncomfortable or um, other people's observations or comments will make us very uncomfortable. And like, that's, that is usually a sign that you need to pay attention to something like all of these feelings, all of these negative feelings are information for you or data for us about things that probably unexamined things that we need to pay attention to. And so instead of like cutting off these feelings, which is, I think how a lot of us have been raised either in our religious context or our cultural context contexts to deal with these feelings, like we actually need to take them as the data that they are and, and use them um, to help us examine whatever it is that's underneath and grow and heal. There's probably some element of healing that needs to happen. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's super helpful. And I love that this question is coming up, right, in our community yeah. because uh, there's a recognition of anger. Mm -hmm. And there's a desire to move forward in a way that's going to be constructive. That's going yeah. to um, 
uh, lead to healing. And so I really appreciate this question. Yeah, me too. And like, I just love that we have a space to talk about it because there are so many Christian contexts in which we can't talk about anger and we can't talk about any of these like unpleasant or like things that we're like, quote unquote, not supposed to be experiencing, but we do because we're people. And so like, let's keep talking about what this means and like, let's keep processing and exploring. Um, yeah, like let's not cut off parts of ourselves. Let's make sure that we're like whole and integrated people. And, you know, let's like use this kind of these feelings as like the helpful tools that they are to move us towards wholeness. Yeah. Ah, oh, um, really appreciated your thoughts on that, Peter. I, I feel like I got a lot out of that conversation too. So thank you so much to our community member for sharing that question. Um, and we encourage you all to use the, like to, to share your questions with us. There is a form that yeah, we just will go link. To the, on, inside the platform, go to the podcast page and you'll yes. see that form at the very top. And we would love to hear your questions and to be able to talk about them. So, yeah, really appreciate this person for getting the ball rolling. Um, just to wrap, I have like a shorter, briefer question for you. Um, I really appreciate the range of readings that you have chosen for this month and like just the range of like context and backgrounds they come from, the range of like genres too. And, um, like the helpful introductions that you provide every week to like, as to how they apply to, you know, this week or these readings or what have you. Um, I was really struck, especially by the excerpts that you chose from J.S. Park and Deborah Turner. Um, I think because, you know, former therapists, I just like love story and personal narrative. And like, so like those things I find very, I, I find these very compelling my question for you was what it was about these two pieces that made you choose them. Like there is no shortage of like spiritual autobiography material out there. So what was it about these two pieces that you thought would be valuable for this month? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the main, I love the question because sometimes, you know, um, it's just helpful to sort of go back and think about, okay, what were the steps here? And I think that one of the, one of the big questions for me is, okay, we're going to be reading this one book. It's going to be the the main text for our conversations, mm -hmm. but it's not obviously when we, as, as we've already talked about, it's not the only way to think about and, uh, and show up in the world. Mm -hmm. And so what I really appreciate about these other perspectives is these are people who've gone through uh, really hard things and they moved through those challenges in very different ways mm -hmm. um, so like J.S. Park I'll just reflect on the title because the title gets me every time I feel like it needs editing mm -hmm. and it, it really doesn't but I feel like that right so the title of that opening chapter is I don't know how much I didn't know mm. and I feel like uh, it should say I didn't know but because mm -hmm. now I do Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know how much I, I didn't know or something like that. But to say I don't know in the present tense feels mm. a little off to me. Mm. And then, uh, but when I think about it, I, I think what he's trying to do there is he's saying, hey, as I, as I reflect on my past and the difficulties and the, and the horrible things that I've experienced, I still don't know. 
Yeah. I haven't come, like, I haven't been able to have closure on these things. Mm-hmm. And, and therefore, to some degree, I'm still a mess and I'm still yes. on this path of healing. Yeah. And I think that's a very different approach than so many other um, approaches that mm-hmm. are so common. Yeah. And so I really uh, appreciate that. And then the Deborah Turner piece, in part, you know, she's writing that from Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's in the 90s. And uh-huh. so this is um, this is drawn from an anthology of uh, early writings by um, by black authors mm-hmm. in in the 90s. I think I think one of Ta-Nehisi Coates's uh, mm-hmm. uh, earliest poems is also in this collection. Wow. But she's writing as someone and she also moved from California to uh-huh. Ann Arbor uh-huh. and so I can relate to her story because yes. that was kind of my journey sure and then as a black woman going through this experience of higher education mm-hmm. she's bumping into all kinds of obstacles yeah and my experience when I bumped into those obstacles was um, there must be something wrong with me I just mm. need to do a better job mm-hmm. conforming mm-hmm. and what is so challenging refreshing about her response is it's very different from my own. Yeah. Her response is uh, to to peer underneath the surface, to try and understand and challenge with her own convictions, with her own identity, uh, and not n- and not be put into a box, mm-hmm. but resisting. And so there too, I just found her response very different from um, what I think is the the normative response. Yeah, I love that. I really appreciate what you what you pointed out about the JS Park title of the I hadn't caught that, but I think that what you said is spot on and just a reminder to us that like the journey is never over, like the journey of understanding ourselves and our pasts and like how how we got to where we are and who we are. The journey of understanding that is never done. We are always going to be revisiting, rewriting the narrative, healing like that. That is a present tense thing. Uh, And I didn't catch that before. So I really appreciate you pointing that out. Um, What I really loved about the Turner piece, I thought that the form of the Turner piece was brilliant because I love how it allowed her to compare her journey to her sister's. And how they came from, it sounds like the same brutal circumstances and ended up in such different places. It just, it was such a striking juxtaposition. And I, um, yeah, I just really appreciated how it kind of, it kind of, the form allowed her to tell two stories at the same time. And I had not seen anything like that before. So. Yeah, and for listeners who may not have may not have read the piece, um, so Deborah Turner is at the University of Michigan, and her sister is in a different place altogether. Right? She's mm-hmm. she's battling mental health issues and and um, is in a very different place. Yeah, and Turner chooses to write this piece in the form of letters to her sister, um, and whether or not they are actual letters she sent to her sister, I do not know. Um, but I thought that the 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 device was very effective and I, I just appreciated that a lot. So, yeah. And, th- and there's a lot that we don't know, right? Because it's letters and it's, mm-hmm. we don't have the letters back. And so there's a lot of reading between the lines. Yeah. Um, I think that's really well done. Yes. 
And you're dropped into the middle of the story. I mean, going back to this whole theme of the month about beginning in the middle, like you, we are not given the con the full context. Like we kind of just get bits and pieces of it. And um, yeah, I just like, just really ap appreciated just, it felt like whether or not the letters were actually sent, like I just felt like I was getting a window into something very, an, an intimate and ongoing conversation. Yeah, and I love that you pointed that out. We, we are beginning this journey in the middle and trying to recognize anyway that um, as we encounter people, like we're all in the middle of something, mm -hmm. right? We're not all trying our best <laughs> as we make clear, <laughs> but we're all in the middle of something. Yeah, yeah, and like we get, you know, we get to think about everything that came before us and how we got mm -hmm. to this point and like where we want to go next. So beginning in the middle like feels very appropriate for this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Peter, it has been a joy to talk with you about all of these things, such a wide range of topics. I'm very excited that we get to keep having these conversations as we move through all this material. And I'll chat with you next time. Yeah, it's been fun. I'm looking forward to the next time. <laughs>